Welcome to the One in Five of Us Changing the Mental Health Landscape podcast. We are working to stop the stigma and start the conversation about mental health. One in five people will experience a mental health condition, but it takes on average eight to 10 years for someone to seek treatment. Hi, I'm Nancy Miller, the founder and executive director of One in Five, and I'm thrilled to host this podcast to help educate our community around mental health and wellness and to empower you to start the conversation. And I'm Kayla Wood, the social media specialist at One in Five. Together, we can stop the stigma and start the conversation. You belong here. We belong together. Today, we are talking with Julie Knieven, MS, LISWS, and Director of Child and Adolescent Programs at Solutions Community Counseling and Recovery Centers. We dive into different therapy modalities and how to find which therapist will work best for you. Julie, thank you so much for being here. Let's go ahead and get started. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. Um, So I have, I hate saying this, a little over 30 years um, in uh, being a social worker. Um, I started out, um, I have a bachelor's of science from Purdue University in child development and family studies with a child health emphasis. And then my graduate degree is from University of Cincinnati, and I have a a master's of social work. And then I'm also a licensed independent social worker with a supervisor designation. So (laughs) what that means is um, I can call myself a therapist and um, and I can um, do the work, but also train um, other therapists or social workers who are who are beginning their training. Very cool. Um, Thank you so much for explaining. Uh, I've often heard people compare finding a therapist to dating. Um, it, it might take a few to find the right person, right? Um, so do you have any tips that can help someone figure out if a certain therapist is a good fit for them? Sure. Um, I, I do agree that not all therapists, uh, are going to be your cup of tea. Uh, so I think asking some good questions to kind of interview to make sure, especially for your child, um, which I specialize in, in child and family treatment, um, you want to make sure you have someone that, that you're comfortable with. Um, so asking things about their philosophy of treatment, you know, what's your philosophy of treatment? How long have you done this? Do you have a specialty? Um, and just making sure you're comfortable with that person and your child would be comfortable with that person. And one of the biggest things um, which can be a barrier is your insurance. So make sure that you're contacting your insurance to see what they require in regards to billing mental health. So some, some plans say you have to have an independently licensed therapist. Other plans do not require that. So making sure you understand the scope um, and um, that cost would not be a barrier with the therapist you chose. Um, and, um, and I would say 
location is important. Um, and if you have to drive an hour to see a therapist, that might be um, in family life, very difficult. Can the therapist do telehealth, especially today? Uh, and when you might be stuck at home, is telehealth an option? And what kind of supportive services do they have within their, their scope of service? Is psychiatry a part of their practice if you need that? Or psycholo psychology um, testing or case management, which is another level of treatment, especially that we can use in schools or in communities. So understanding the scope of their practice and the support that might come with the treatment of your specific need um, and issue. I have a question. If you, you, you touched on the telehealth, talk a little bit about how that's changed therapy and what that really means for people right now. Sure. I think a lot of us who really thrive on the interaction with kids and families really worried about how telehealth would, would play out. Um, there is some evidence that shows that telehealth and teletherapy is just as effective as in person. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I, for the last six months, have been doing some telehealth with some kids, and it really has gone well. Um, one benefit is that kids are comfortable in their own homes. Mm -hmm. uh, families are comfortable in their own homes. And so, um, so I can log on, say, hi, they're comfortable. You know, yesterday I said to a kiddo, are you still in your pajamas at four o'clock? You know, who cares? Who cares? She was, she's like, maybe. Okay. So uh, who cares? Um, and you know, she can show me her cat who walks across the screen. And, um, and so, uh, so being comfortable is a huge part of, of, how helpful therapy can be. You need to be in a safe place. You need to be in a safe zone where you feel comfortable. And so them being in their own home is really helpful in therapy. So it's gone great. I think once we got over the technology issues at first, um, it, it has gone really well. Um, and the governor issued, it used to be that you used to have have to have your first session live before you could do teletherapy. And they waived that, and that has been really helpful. So we've been able to do diagnostics, um, so diagnostic assessments over teletherapy, and our psychiatrist does tele, telehealth. And so, um, so that has been just really, really helpful um, to have immediate access to your therapist and um, in a space where you feel really comfortable. Mm -hmm. So I think that maybe some parents would have challenges getting a child to therapy if they're working uh, and there might be um, a lot of like logistical barriers. Right. Right. And, and with kids doing online um, school, um, you know, my session yesterday was two o'clock. Whereas if I had to wait for the, the child to get out of school, get on the bus, get home, um, it, it would have been a much later. Um, and for me, I don't necessarily care about the time, but for kids and families, um, if we're doing three, four, five, six, 
they're way more tired. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you have several kids to manage also, um, that can be a barrier. So yeah, um, having, not having to drive someplace and, and, um, at a time when is convenient for everyone that that is helpful. And some of my kids, you know, I'll, um, I still, um, even though I'm a director of a program, I absolutely still see kids. And so um, I may text them to say, hey, I'm logging on. And they're like, oh, give me a minute. I just woke up. Okay. That, yeah. <laughs> that's the beauty. You can roll out of bed and see me and I will not judge. I will not judge how you look or anything else. So, um, so yeah, it's very helpful to have telehealth. So from the school standpoint, are, um, are you doing a combination of in-person in the schools in some cases and other places it's telehealth? Yes. Most of my school-based therapists have, have some kids who are in school, so they see them live, uh, but then they also have that combination of, of kids who are, are virtually learning. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and many schools um, have, um, have let us use their school, their school emails to do some therapy. So, uh, so that has been great. So yes, my therapists in schools are doing both live in, in school. Um, sometimes they will go to the office to see a parent if they want to see, have a live session too, but they're, um, they're doing the combination. Yeah. Okay. That's good. It's a lot more flexibility than there used to be. Yes. Uh, have you seen an increase in students that are needing services right now? Yeah. Typically, our biggest month for referrals for therapy in schools is October. Uh, that's shifted. Um, so it's shifted to September this year. I think kids, um, you know, maybe kids with anxiety around school did fine when they were at home, but now coming back to school and they have to worry about their mask and whether the kid next to them is sick or um, it can cause a little bit more anxiety. So we are definitely seeing an uptick in, in referrals um, earlier than, than typical. Yeah. And what I would say also is parents, probably had maybe an even more nervous reaction to having schools go live. So we have been able through telehealth to do a lot of, um, mom, how are you feeling? How can we help you make, make you feel more comfortable so that you can support your child? And how are you going to make this difficult decision about whether your kids go back to school or whether you do virtual? So um, so that, um, we wanted to help parents and families make the best decision. Um, but yes, we are seeing, seeing way more referrals than we normally would get earlier than in the year. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I mean, I know a lot of local schools have kind of started doing the phased, uh, coming back and then a lot of schools are now totally in person, um, yeah. without even doing the phased in classrooms. So I can't even imagine the kind of stress that people would be under right now. Yeah. No longer taking classes. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think all of the schools also have kind of different schedules. So we've had to 
kind of figure out. Um, we, each therapist has had to change their schedule a little bit to meet the needs of the of the schools. So, um, and we do have office space too. So, for those families who don't want their kids pulled um, from a school or a class, um, they can come see us in the office or do virtually through the office and not through school. It's awesome. So um, the the next question is when we um, when people are researching finding a mental health provider, um, a lot of the a lot of times there are a lot of terms that are thrown around, and I think we get that question all of the time from people. What does all of that mean? Like, what is DBT? What is CBT? What is EMDR? What's play therapy? Art therapy? So can you talk to what all those different modalities of therapy are and when they're appropriate for people? Sure. Um, I would say for the most part, therapists are kind of eclectic in regards to the modalities, Um, but it is important to understand kind of what they use as their fallback. So CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, is probably the most frequently used in, um, in child and adolescent therapy, it, and it does have evidence behind it. So here's the other thing that you probably should know is um, evidence-based mm-hmm. models. So they're, um, evidence-based means that they've actually studied it. They've done a scientific study that would indicate that the things they're doing in that model of therapy actually work. And so, um, so CBT is very much evidence-based um, and really works with anxiety and depression, ADHD, um, and trauma. So there is even a trauma-focused CBT. Um, and so, um, so it's important to understand those modalities and where they're evidence-based and where they help. Um, DBT, Dialectical Behavioral Therapy, is kind of a spinoff of CBT, and um, it may be more helpful where those kids are um, maybe more difficult in regards to their response and have a stronger maybe response um, when dealing with authority. And so so DBT kind of helps them understand a different perspective um, and that um, that you may have a perspective, but the adult may have a different perspective. And so being able to communicate your needs while also respecting someone else's opinion. And um, so, so yeah, and EMDR, we use, you know, in every profession, right? We have these, these, um, these, these acronyms or, uh, terms for what we do. EMDR um, is um, a desensitization model, especially for those who have experienced trauma. So it's it, it works with the neurology in the brain. And so, um, so working through your trauma, um, you're also kind of healing your brain and the pathway in your brain so that you may um, help your trauma reactions. So when kids experience trauma um, or adults experience trauma, um, there are things that, that then trigger their brain to react. And so, so EMDR specifically works to, to help you 
process that trauma and be in control of your emotions and your reactions so you can function in daily life. Um, so um, EMDR is, is probably more specific uh, for trauma. Um, PCIT, also parent-child interaction therapy, is, is a model that uh, is evidence-based. They've, they've kind of changed the, um, the modality a little bit to say it's, it's more focused for kids two to eight, um, but there are other models based off of that too, like CARE child-adult relationship enhancement, that you can take some of those um, ideas from that modality and apply it to kids who are older too. But uh, PCIT, the one thing that I love about PCIT is it's a child-directed interaction. And so as adults, oftentimes we want to control the session or we want to control um, how things go with kids. And in a child-directed interaction, you really um, listen to the kid and let them go where they need to go and talk about what they need to talk about. Um, so, um, you know, uh, with a family who may be experiencing a health issue, you may think that that is always on the kid's mind um, and want to talk about that all the time when really for the kid, the most important thing that day was they, they heard a really bad statement on the bus. And so helping um, kids direct that interaction, you understand uh, where they're struggling and how to help them. Um, so, and PCIT and CARE both have a lot of um, helpful tips for parents to interact with their kids in a positive way. And so we um, can help parents even do some discipline methods while still working on their relationship with their kid. Um, and so PCIT and CARE are um, very helpful models in helping parents understand how to most be most effective with their kids. Um, being a parent of three kids, I know that the same things don't work with each child. So uh, getting more tools in your toolbox as a parent uh, can be really helpful too. So I assume that the parent is involved in those, in the PCIT and the, um, the care model as well. Right. Well, when you're talking child therapy, parents need to be involved in any therapy um, mm -hmm. to understand where your child is coming from, to um, be able to best communicate with your child and, and practice. Um, so, so sometimes kids don't understand um, how to best communicate their feelings or, um, you know, they, they kind of get stuck with their words and how to tell a parent how they feel. Um, or, you know, parents also get upset. They get upset that their kid has experienced um, maybe a negative thing. And so, so, so therapy can help the child express themselves and the parent be able to support um, their, their child. So in all the models, we want parents to be actively involved um, in, in the therapeutic process. During this time, during this COVID period, it's a, it's a very emotional period. There are a lot of, um, 
unusual situations that are happening. And I think the kids are really feeling that, you know, this, what's going on? What does all of this mean? How is this going to impact me? How do I stay safe? So that um, it sounds like so you, you need to have somebody else that's in the equation with you that's, that's helping explain some of those feelings. Because yeah. I know for a lot of parents that we hear from are like, I don't know what to say. I don't know right. the right words to say right now. Right. For my teenagers, they are not as worried about COVID as they are affected by I can't see my best friend. Mm -hmm. I cannot hang out with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. Mm -hmm. I can, I sit in my room all day. And, and my biggest worry about that is being on social media all the time versus being um, live with someone. And so a lot of my teenagers have been more affected by just the restrictions. Mm -hmm. Um, They, they can't do what they normally want to do. Um, so, um, and they're not as active. And so we know that in anxiety and depression and ADHD, um, you need to be active. You need to be out there. You need to be running and exercising and getting that energy out, um, to, to feel healthier. So, um, so that has been the struggle, I think for some, some teenagers is, is yes, they are a little bit scared. Um, but, they also are just mourning the loss of just mm-hmm. the natural um, interactions that they would have. Um, and I see my younger kids often take those cues about being anxious from about COVID from parents or people around them. So if we are constantly talking about it, um, sometimes it can make kids more anxious. Mm-hmm. So taking your cues from your kids, educating them, helping support them, uh, is, is really helpful. Um, but also making sure that you're not scaring them with maybe too much information or information they don't understand or, um, our own thoughts and fears that we're not scaring our kids, um, even more than they naturally would be. Uh, and it's okay to say, I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out, but I, I'm not sure about this. Let's try to investigate the answer to this. Um, so um, it's okay to even investigate with your child um, some answers to that. So, um, so I've had some kids who, you know, they stayed at home for a couple months and the first time to the grocery store felt really strange. Not being able to see someone smile at you with their mouth um, is, is difficult for some kids. So, um, so, so we've all kind of adjusted, um, and worked through some things, but, you know, trying to, for kids in elementary school, helping them play out what might happen can be really helpful. So when they learned they had to wear a mask, okay, so you're going to have to wear a mask on the bus. You, you're going to have, your desks are going to be a little bit farther away, just kind of playing out scenarios. Um, so what I've heard from teachers is kids do really well with keeping their masks on. And I think we weren't sure about that, but they take mask breaks at school. They, um, you know, they, uh, but kids are doing it. So, um, so 
So we must have done a good job as adults in preparing them for it. But, and I see the bus, you know, go by and everybody has their masks on. I'm still waving at them, you know, but, um, so there are some things that can still be natural, but it, it, it feels unnatural to wear a mask maybe, but, but we're adapting. And, and I think that's the biggest message for kids. You're doing good. You're doing good at adapting. And, and just, I think, loving, supporting, making sure that kids get that message of, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Um, it's okay. We're going to be, you know, okay. Um, and we're working through all of those, those anxieties one-on-one, but also remembering to have fun. Um, so, um, that is one thing I've seen a lot of families have game nights, Taco Tuesday, you know, just cooking together and having fun. So make sure you're, you're putting in that fun time with your kids um, is really important now too. Being creative also, you know, gets, um, so in therapy, I think, you know, we, we don't believe that being in therapy long-term is the answer. And each one of us has strengths and skills that we bring to therapy and that's what we want to expand on. So, um, so you have a strength in this area. That's, that's how we're going to heal. Um, and so, um, those neuropathology, the neurons in your head, the, all of that plays a part in therapy. And so, um, so, um, what I like to say often is we're, we're healing your brain. Um, we're making new pathways in your brain. And so, um, so yeah, my goal is not to be in someone's life forever, but just build on your skills and strengths and get you through a situation. And we may need a booster shot, but, um, but we're, we're not going to be there forever either. So um, do you have any parents that create a relationship with you, even if they don't have a high level of need, or maybe like if their kids are younger, just to kind of help normalize that? Absolutely. I think um, um, even kids who maybe struggle socially or it's not a huge problem yet, I think it's smart to, to assess what's going on and help build their skills so that they maybe you're changing the pathway of what happens. And so, yeah, I think it's smart to have um, a therapy when you just see you're a little worried about something and, and you want to get someone's opinion about it. Yeah. I have treated three and four year olds and, um, and, and it's helpful. I think, you know, I saw some kids in, in preschool because, they moved around a couple times because their parents couldn't um, couldn't care for them, and so absolutely we want to be involved in those kids' lives to help them communicate their needs, um, understand that what has happened to them is not their fault, and build skills so that um, as they grow and develop, they have the right tools to grow and develop. Yeah. Well, Julie, thank you for being with us today. I think this is very helpful for parents to understand a little bit more about the relationship that they can have with the therapist and how that's going to be helpful for their kids. So we we so appreciate you taking the time to be with us this morning. Sure. Sure. I think um, there is a stigma sometimes. And so the more we can talk about it and feel comfortable and, and understand what therapy is, 
um, maybe the better we'll feel about it. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about this episode, you can check out our show notes and access additional information on our website at 1n5.org. We ask that you please subscribe, rate, write a review, or share this podcast with anyone you think may be interested in hearing more about how we are changing the mental health landscape. Again, I'm Nancy. And I'm Kayla. And we hope you'll join us next time. You believe-